From the Live Period podcast, this is the Player Series, Episode 4, Juan Toscana Anderson. All right, we're back today with our next episode of the Player Series with Juan Toscano Anderson, current Golden State Warrior, former Marquette superstar. How are we doing today, Juan? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Bored as hell, but <laughs> you know, I'm chilling. Staring at four walls all day, every day. Yep. Are you guys uh are you guys opening practice facility back up soon? Uh I got a text a few days ago saying that it would be within the next coming weeks. But I mean, what's the next coming weeks? Two weeks, yeah. three weeks, four weeks. So it's gonna uh, be like different everywhere too, I think. Yeah, exactly. it's just like a different thing every day. So until I get like a concrete thing, I'm just kinda like chilling. Are most of the guys on your Golden State Warriors team, are they there or a lot of guys spread out across the country? Um, I know like guys like Mark and Dragon, you know, they were on 10 days, so they left. Um, even myself, if I wasn't from here, I would probably have to leave too just because like I think we were all in the process of trying to find like a temporary place to live. Um, so I know those guys went home. I think <clears throat> the majority of the guys are here. Uh, I talked to some of the guys. We had a Zoom meeting a day. I talked to them from time to time. But, uh, yeah, I think the majority of the guys are here for sure. Let's just start back in high school. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you were a big soccer fan, still are a huge soccer fan. You grew up playing soccer? Family's a big soccer family? Yeah, my my family is a big soccer family. I come from a, a Mexican family. Um, <clears throat> my grandpa is a – a Monarcas fan. My family's from Morelia, which is a state in Mexico. Um, but I have uh, an aunt, my grandfather's daughter, who's a year older than me. She's a big Chivas fan. And growing up, her and I were like uh, best friends. And uh, I'm kind of ashamed to say, but until I was like 12, 13 years old, she was always better than me at sp- all sports. Like anything we played, she was better than me at. But and she was honestly, she was a killer in soccer. So growing up, I was soccer, Monarcas, and Chivas. And then Obviously, I switched teams by living in Mexico. So I watched a lot of soccer, went to uh, big games. Like, those were the events I attended, you know, until I kind of made the transition into um, playing basketball uh, later in elementary school. But, yeah, like, those were the family events. It wasn't like we were going to see uh, Kobe Bryant come to Oracle tonight or whatever it was back then. Like, that wasn't on TV in our house, really. It was kind of just like the – you know, we were the average fan, just like watching big games, playoff games. We weren't like real basketball fans, so right. basketball so, kind of really ran the way in, in the house. What 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 got you into basketball? What changed for you, man? So third grade, uh, I, I was going to school in East Oakland. My mom she transferred me to Montclair Elementary, um, which is one of the better schools in Oakland. Um, and Mrs. Mrs. Addos, uh, Al Addos, legend, you know, Hall of Famer. His wife was my third grade teacher, and uh, she she put me in Warriors camp. She introduced me to basketball. She waived the fee, everything. Like, I was going through a lot of stuff in my life at that time. <clears throat> um, we had just had some things going on with my family, uh, and we were homeless. Um, so herself and the principal, they kind of did a lot of stuff for me. The principal bought me an aluminum baseball bat. He bought me a baseball glove. He bought me a Raiders football. Uh, he bought me a basketball. Like, 
<clears throat> they just bought me all these tools, all these resources that I didn't really have. Like I couldn't afford a hundred dollar, hundred and twenty dollar good aluminum bat. You know what I'm saying? Like a good leather glove. Like these people kind of just put these tools in my life for me to use. So that's how I got introduced to basketball. She put me in a Warriors camp. <clears throat> wow. I mean, obviously you're a Bay Area kid. Um, and it, it's a team that you're naturally inclined to support, but you're also a big Kobe fan. Talk yeah. about that dynamic a little bit. Like, when when did you decide, you know, that, that Kobe was your guy and that it was going to be somebody that you were going to emulate your game off of? And then as a Warriors fan, like, how do you reckon those two things? Yeah. Um, man, I, I don't know. It was kind of tough because, you know, people are always like, how are you a Kobe fan and you from Oakland and this, <laughs> yep. that, and the third? But – just I, I got the opportunity to be around some like real basketball, like real basketball minds, um, you know, kind of ninth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade ish. And I started to appreciate the game for what it is. And it's, it's an art. And so I hate I hate now when people try to compare players like you can't compare LeBron James and Steph Curry. You mm. can't compare KD and Joel Embiid or, you know, and so forth. It's just like, you know, just let them hoop and, and be who they are. So. Yeah. I always rooted for the Warriors other than when I was playing the Lakers. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that now, but uh, Kobe was my favorite player for sure. I love Kobe, man. He's a killer. Like, I, I just love all the – I mean, now I don't want to say it's cheesy because, it, you know, he just passed away and man, so rest in peace. But, like, I think people are just kind of, like, taking that whole mama mentality thing just, like, I don't know. I think he was more locked in, like, more black hole, like, mm. more just – obsessed with his craft and to me that's mama mentality like waking up and going to do your little two miles every day that ain't mama mentality yeah. I, I don't know maybe that sounds insensitive for me to say it about some people but i don't know i just love that killer instinct he had man he just blacks out and i just love killers like i love playing with them i love playing against them like i love everything about it yeah well it's just amazing that a guy like that like can transcend the sport really be like you can be a warriors fan but love Kobe yep. because yep. of who he who he was, who how he played, how he went about the game, and all that kind of thing. Where there's not a lot of guys that you can really do that with, right? right. Like, you know, they're kind of associated with the team, or they're associated with a certain championship or whatever. Like, like he was a whole thing. Like yeah, it was a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Know? I agree. And 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 he just reaches beyond borders, beyond yeah. race, beyond. Like he just knocks down all doors. Like and you, everybody's a fan of Kobe, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Juan, uh, since you're a big Kobe guy, and I, I was one of those that I wasn't a, I respected his game, but I wasn't a diehard fan. And then when I was in high school, I don't even know if you know about this, but there used to be a camp called ABCD Camp, and it was the yeah. Adidas Top 200 Camp in the world, and it was in New York, and I got invited to it. Kobe came and spoke at it. This was 2000, 2001. And I, and so it's been what, 20, almost 20 years. I still use this in my teaching to this day. And I think it's something good for you to hear too, because you're a Kobe guy. He, uh, it was just after Chris Childs, that huge fight they got in, like got sucker punched by Chris Childs and the Knicks and Kobe comes up to our camp and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, it's Kobe, it's Kobe. So he speaks to us for like 40 minutes and mind you, this is young Kobe. And he goes, I have a question for everybody. And then in, in the audience was Eddie Curry. I think LeBron was in there, LeBron, but he was a year younger than me. So there was studs everywhere. And he goes, what's basketball to you mentally to physically? 
mental to physical, what is basketball to you? And I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, what did he just say? Mental to physical. <laughs> like, I, I never heard something like that. And all yeah. these guys, like, raising their hand, like, oh, like, 100% physical. Yeah, you got to be a beast. You know, everyone's just joking. And Kobe just straight, straight, like, she's like, basketball to me is 70% mental, 30% physical, and there's my, and it might be even more. And wow, I just sat, I, I, like, soaked that in, and I still use that to this day. I, I use it when I was playing, and I, used it when I, and I use it when I teach now to my kids, my, my college and pro players. And it's so true, man. And I know you can probably speak on that, right? I mean, it, it is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, it's a physical. I mean, it's you're doing something physical as a sport, but the the body goes it uh, or the mind goes and the body follows. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm believer in that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's just everything: the balance of your emotions, how you're perceiving things. You know, your receptiveness to different things. It is it, is for sure primarily mental. Um, and I feel like that's why you just got to find your. I guess your happy place, your quiet place, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, more often than not, like, well, that's one thing I'm learning is just like be going from a, a decent or whatever shooter. Like I want to be an elite shooter in mm-hmm. the NBA. You know, I can guard. I, everybody knows I can guard. But now for me, I feel like what's the next thing? Like, what are you going to bring? I don't want to come back the same player that I was in February, 2020, you know, when the Warriors picked me up, like mm-hmm. I want to come back a whole different player. So lately, like when I was shooting, I had just like, I was shooting, I was thinking about other stuff and I realized that I was just throwing the ball up there. Like I was just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, physically I was doing everything that I was doing and physically I would be tired after that workout. But realistically, I'm not, taking good shots that are going to help my game. You mm-hmm. really got to lock in mentally, you know. So that was just one aspect where, you know, I think I took another step forward this this summer, this off season, or whatever this time is right now. But I think I wouldn't have realized that. I mean, I'm 27. I'm just now starting to realize it now where, like, I thought I was focused when I was working on my game or I was shooting. But, like, Okay, I know what I'm doing, but I'm thinking about, oh, what is, what am I going to eat tonight, or what? And you can't be thinking about it. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to get to this spot, then change direction and drop my shoulder. Like you got to be thinking about everything you're doing to perfect these moves. And that's why I say, like that, that mama mentality. Like Kobe was just always locked in. Like his movements on the court and the things he did on the court, you can look at him and you see that he practiced that millions of times, yep. you know, to perfection. And that's how you get to that greatness. Yeah. is the, the mental aspect. Like, yeah. there's a lot of players out there that are physically gifted, you know, physical freaks, but they just lack that mental aspect of, of the game, and that's the disconnect sometimes. Absolutely. Juan, I want to go all the way back to high school. Um, when you were a sophomore, you were a, an average player. Yeah, I mean, you were on varsity. You got, you got some time. And by your senior year, you were one of the top 100 players in the country. Mm-hmm. What what happened? Like, how did you – and it – you know, not to get too ahead of things, but that seems to be sort of a theme for you is you just take these massive, massive leaps. Talk about that a little bit. Talk about what happened between your sophomore year and your senior year of high school. Uh, my sophomore year, I remember it, man. I remember, I don't remember exactly who we were playing, but I remember like what I did. Like after I got dressed, I walked out of the, the door and I got in the car with my mom. I'm like, I'm done with basketball. Like I'm quitting. I remember this day like so vividly. And I had a best friend, one of my best friends to this day. He played at Hawaii, Roger Bobbitt. Um, he was a killer, man. Like, 
he was one of the better players that I've ever played with. Like when I'm in the, at the, you know, like I can't compare a high school player to an NBA player, sure. but like at that level, like his game was so polished. Mm -hmm. Like looking back now, he had an NBA game. He had an NBA ready game. And like internally, I wanted, I, I wanted to be better than him. Um, and I don't know, man. My coach, one one of my coaches, he told me I was never gonna play college basketball. Mm. Like it was just, it was just whack for me. Like I was. So, anyways, um, a friend of mine, he called me. He invited me to an AAU workout. Uh, Oakland Rebels, which are now Team Lillard, uh, Damian Lillard played for the same program. But I just met some people, man, and they showed me how to work. Uh, like I said, it's just one of those things where you think you know what you're, you know that you're working, and that's why I like getting in the gym with so many people, man. Like everybody has a different piece of advice to offer you mm -hmm. or, you know, some knowledge to drop on you. And so I met a group of kids um, that they they were already committed. Three of them were already committed to <clears throat> to colleges. Um, and I was just getting on Barton bus. Bart is the subway or the train station mm -hmm. here in the Bay Area. But I was leaving, going from Castro Valley to Berkeley every single day on Barton bus with a friend of mine, Hamid Ali. And like we were taking turns, like sleeping, like because it was it was like an hour ride, and it was after school, and we both lived pretty far. We're going to Berkeley, we're getting out, and when it's dark, like we're taking turns sleeping on the train. But like these kids, which are they're now grown men, and they're still some of my best friends, like Hamid Ali, Dominique Taplin, T.J. Taylor, like Brendan Keene. I want to make sure I say their names yeah. because like these guys, like when you say iron sharpens iron, like this was the epitome of that. And everything was by choice. It wasn't like our coach was a hard ass. Like everybody who knows Raymond Young in Oakland or in the Bay Area knows he's a hard ass. But we went to the gym by choice every single day. And I just got better, you know, progressively. Like I was competing against, like I said, these guys were already committed. These guys were already like established on the AAU scene. Prior to that, I had never played for a, like a real AAU team. Like, so now I'm working out with these guys. I'm playing with them. Now I'm going to these tournaments. And I remember my first tournament, my first big tournament with them in Vegas. Um, I was playing like shit. It was my first time playing in front of scouts. And I airballed a shot, and I just, like, put my head down. I walked down the court, and my coaches subbed me out. And Phil Taylor, who was uh, another one of our, one of our coaches, uh, he pulled me outside and he grabbed me by the shirt in front of like all these parents and shit. And he's like, if you don't stop playing like a little bitch, I'm going to send your ass home. And honestly, from that game, from that point on, like I had never, I had never had nobody talk to me that way. Like, you know what I'm saying? And from that point forward, like my whole life just changed. Like wow. I start killing, start killing. Like after that, after my, the summer, after my sophomore year, I had every school, like, in California and on the West Coast recruiting me. Not big offers from Pac-12 yet. Then high school happened. Like, Roderick Bobbitt, he had played varsity four years, played JV half the year, freshman year with me, but really VAR four years. So junior year, this is third year playing VAR. My second year, we're, like, kind of establishing ourselves, like, in the California rankings um, and so forth. And I just kept getting better. And then that summer after that, uh, we went to Indiana for a tournament, and we got the chance to play against, like, all these top recruits. I don't remember the names now or the AAU teams, but it was, like, Quincy Miller and Marquise Teague. Like, these guys were, like, top five, top ten in the country at this time. 
And the first game we played, I was killing, like killing the whole the whole gym. I was killing. And after that game, I picked up offers from uh, Marquette, Cal, Baylor, like so many schools. And then like, it just it was just like that, man. I met those people. I met I don't want to say those people, but I met my guys now, TJ, Dominique, all those guys, Hamid. And I just got better with those guys, mm-hmm. man. And that's where I learned, like, you got to really surround yourself with, you know, good people. Because yep. prior to meeting those people, like, the other AAU team I played for, which is, like, night and day, um, I would say maybe there's only, like, three of us now, four of us out of – and there was two teams. I was on the B team on that team. There was two teams. There's maybe four or five of us who are still alive or not in jail. Wow. Yeah, so it was just like a whole different, like my whole, like prior to meeting these, the uh, Oakland Rebel guys, like I never even thought about getting a basketball scholarship. Mm-hmm. Like my family doesn't didn't even know that. That wasn't even a thing. Like we followed soccer, but sports wasn't big in our house. Like we just, my family's just working people. Right. And so that's where it happened, man. It was just like me and this, going to this AAU team and just learning how to work on your game. And, and that's what it is, hard work, man. Yeah. <clears throat> So how'd you end up at Marquette of all, all, you know, you got all these options. I mean, that was, it seems like sort of a little bit of a strange choice. How'd you end up there? Yeah. You want to hear the long version or the short oh, version? We got plenty hey, we of got all the time in the world, man. <laughs> all right. So, uh, August, this is before my senior year. Um, I'm going, Cal is here in my backyard. So I'm going on unofficials to Cal and this is my first time like spending like a night or two at on a college campus. Um, I loved it my first weekend. Like we chilling. Like we didn't do no crazy stuff, but like I'm I'm 16, 17 years old around these other 19 year old guys. Like yeah, they got practice in the morning, but like we going to parties, we hanging out with girls. Like I ain't got to worry about somebody parents coming downstairs or any, you know what I'm saying? Like we just <laughs> yeah. chilling with girls, college girls, you know, having fun. Um so then I start going up there three like uh consecutively for three weekends and my AAU coach um, Raymond Young, he said, you can't, you got to stop going there. Like, because it's going to uh, cloud your judgment. And I was pissed because I was having so much fun. And so I took a visit to Oregon. Um, it was raining way too much for me there. So that was out. <laughs> um, and then I ended up switching my Marquette visit and my Arizona state visit. Arizona state wanted me to come to the game when they played Oregon, but like I said, I come from a family that don't know shit about recruiting visits, basketball visits. Like, of course you want to go when Arizona State plays Oregon. Oregon's number one in the country, and you know what I'm saying? Arizona State, you know, it's just the perfect atmosphere to bring a recruit on. But I switched my visits. So I ended up going to Marquette first. And as soon as I got off the plane, I said, I'm not coming to school here. It was September 27th, I believe. I think that's the exact day. I don't know why I remember these days, but it was September 27th. And, you know, in California, we have what we call Indian summers. You know, the summer's going all the way through mid-October, end of October, sometimes even early November. You know, so I'm coming from a 85, 80-degree weather, October. I'm in school. I'm kicking it in shorts. So now I get off the plane 
in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's gloomy as shit, it's cold as shit. <laughs> and then and then to top it off, when I get to the school, the school's small as fuck. It's <laughs> the school is six thousand students. And I right. went to a school with thirty five hundred a high school with thirty five hundred students. So this is basically like high school all over for me again. <laughs> and so we go on our visit. Um I was killing during my visit, hooping. Uh, I got a. I, I will say I gained a lot of the guys' respect mm-hmm. uh, during that visit. Like they all started fucking with me after that visit. Junior Kadugan, Darius Johnson, Odom, um, a lot of those guys. And you know, we had our visit with Buzz. You know, he he's a good dude, man. He's he's one of these coaches. He's one of the coaches that care about guys beyond the basketball. And like I said, back to going going back to I don't come from a basketball family, so. When we're on these visits, my mom's not even thinking about, okay, I need somewhere where my son's going to go and develop basketball-wise, and he's going to shot have a shot at getting drafted. My mom probably didn't even know what the fuck the NBA draft was, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. So we're in, the, we're, in the, we're in the meeting, and Buzz is, you know, saying his spiel, doing his thing, and my mom goes, well, Buzz – I don't really give a fuck about basketball. I want to make sure my son graduates from college. Wow. So I'm in my mind, I'm thinking like, mom, why would you say that to a basketball <laughs> coach? And then I'm also thinking like, well, you don't give a fuck about basketball. Like I'm thinking the whole time I'm thinking basketball. Right. right. You know, so um, come home from the visit. Uh, I go to Arizona State. I'm loving it. And it's a dead weekend. There's not even a football game. So I still – Fucking hate myself for switching my visit to this day. <laughs> because the weekend that I did end up going, it was no football game. It was a away game, and it was still popping. So I go to Arizona State and have my visit, and then I'm, I'm leaving to the airport. I'm in the airport, and I call my mentor, my AAU coach. And I say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit here. And he goes, okay, wait, just, like, wait a little bit, like, you know, wait till you get home, you know, just let your emotions calm. Okay, cool. <clears throat> so I get home and I tell my mom, like, hey, I'm going to commit. And she's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, why not? And she goes, because they don't graduate any of their basketball team. So when we, when I was being recruited, their graduation rate was a 32% for their basketball team, I think. <clears throat> And so I don't know how they come up with all these percentages, but however the hell you come up with these percentages, you might not want to show these percentages to some people's parents. <laughs> but I was pissed. So me and my mom are arguing for days and days because at the age of 17, I'm not thinking about graduating right. college. Right. Like I'm thinking about playing basketball and going to the NBA. Yeah. And so uh, that was maybe like October 3rd or something. And once I knew I didn't want to go to Oregon um, because it was raining, um, Arizona State, my mom wasn't going to let me go to. And then Cal, I ended up not wanting to go to because I was just like, ah, I want to get away from home. Sure. That was another mistake that I made now looking back on it. But <laughs> so it was really Marquette where it was like I didn't hate it. It was my top five. And then Texas had came in like right before uh, – I commit before I was taking all these visits. So I didn't let them in on my top five. Mm. And so I just went with Marquette and 
it was kind of now looking back, it was kind of an irrational decision. It was, but it wasn't. I just looked at it like, okay, all these, when I got my top five and then all these other schools kind of start falling out and then it's like, okay, I'm left with Marquette. So maybe that's just where it's meant for me to go. Um, so that's how I ended up there. So I committed on October 6th and then I think signing day was October 12th, maybe something like that. And then I remember one day I was at my, one of my best friend's house and I wanted to decommit. Mm. And my mom and my mentor are just like, nah, like for what? What do you want to decommit for? Right. Like you have second thoughts. So the short version is that my mom kind of like made me go there. <laughs> um, but that's a long version. It just kind of like happened. To Moms me. are smart. Yeah, they are. Um, she, she's a smart lady. I mean, I got a great degree. Uh, Marquette's a great school. That's a hard school. Yeah. And I got some great experiences there, man. I got a chance to do a lot of stuff there. Well, I think like, you know, you talk about iron sharpening iron and, and you know, being tougher and, and learning kind of that killer mentality. And, you know, we talked a little bit before about just like, you know, buzz and being an intense coach and, you know, all those sorts of things. I mean, I would imagine, you know, for me knowing buzz, like the thing that sticks out in my head, two, two things really stick out in, in my head from knowing him and, and talking to him are the intensity and, and demand for excellence, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and also like when you have a conversation with him and you're speaking, you feel like you're the most important person on the planet because he's listening to everything and he's analyzing everything. And it's crazy. Like I, I said something to him at, at dinner one time and he texted me like three or four months later, like asking how that thing was going. Wow. Uh-huh. And I'm like, how the hell do you remember that? Like <laughs> yeah. you've talked to 50,000 people between now, you know, then and now. Um, but that, that like, that killer attitude mentality. Like he, it seems like something that he drives home as a coach that that's, that's something he latches onto. Is that yeah. accurate? Sure. My, my bad. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Is, is that, is that something that like you kind of f- felt there that that's something that he helped continue to instill and develop even more? Yeah. Uh, and that's, so my mom loved all that stuff about it. And then my mentor, my AU coach, like I said, he's a hard ass. He and Buzz, like you throw them into the same boat. Like they're both crazy. So my, he looked at it like, okay, like look what I've done. He didn't say this, but now that I'm older, I can look back and see like where their reasoning was. It's like, look what I've done with you and helped you do in the matter of 10, 11 months, you know, just with some persistence, some dedication to your craft, hard work let me put you in the hands of somebody I feel like I can trust, you know, who's going to continue to instill these, these values and these intangibles in you, you know? So that was, that's where they, they came to an agreement, my mentor and uh, my mother, mm-hmm. you know, because he knows basketball, but at the same time, yeah, I have somebody in my corner that knows basketball, but when you're the, the, the kid's family doesn't know basketball and you're trying to recruit this kid, like that's a whole – like that's missing one side of the brain. You know what I'm saying? Because the kid's family has a, a huge say-so. So that's where they came in, in together. And Buzz is a great motivator. Like I said, these intangibles, man, I, I'd say that's his best quality is just – or his attribute, whatever word you want to use, is like his ability to get people to – this is how I like to put it whenever I'm working with anybody, like make it make sense for both of us. If Mm. it makes sense for you and it makes sense for me, it's going to boom, piece of Mm. cake. We're going to get the shit done. And he makes things make sense for everybody. Like 
some games he would we would have our film sessions the day before and it would be like life lessons but it at the end of the life lesson like you're getting this life lesson and this is just like at the end of it somehow correlates back to you know our game the next day and it's like how are you going to respond how are you going to play like everybody in this room wants to get to the NBA. Like we all need to help each other. You know, like all these things where it's motivating everybody to play together, play hard. And I will say like, even the year before I got there or the years before I got there. And even when I was there, like we didn't have nearly the most talented players in the country, but the year before the two years before I got there, they were top 20. Uh, My freshman year, we were top 15. My sophomore year, we were top 10. Like, and that just goes to show you he's getting all these kids to play hard as fuck mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Like, it, it's just like, regardless of his X and, X's and O's or his or recruiting, like, if he can recruit or not, like, whoever is putting on his the jersey he's coaching, like, he's going to get them to play hard as fuck. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, for sure. Like, and I think that that's carried over into, like, me playing pro, too. It's like, I've been through so – I went through so much shit in college. Like, yeah. This pro shit is just like cakewalk. So you get through Marquette, and correct me if I'm wrong, but at the time I don't you didn't have any pro offers anywhere. No. So what's what's going on in your head at that moment? Are you ready to be done with basketball at that time? Like what what's happening then? 2015, yeah. right? Yeah, 2015. And when I say when I just said this uh, pro shit is cakewalk, I don't mean like the talent. I just mean like you know the the adversity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. <laughs> To answer your question, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't going to play. I didn't plan on playing. I had no intentions of even continuing to play. Like, I was just going to figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was probably going to move to L.A. Uh, one of my boys, he was playing for the Lakers at the time. Um, I was just going to move down there mm-hmm. and figure it out. I don't know. My brother was living in L.A. I have no clue, man. <laughs> I didn't I didn't have no offers. Uh Got invited to play the Mexican national team. Yeah. And then that's just where it all kind of like unfolded for me. So how did that, uh, I mean, obviously you, you have Mexican heritage, but you're, you're yeah. from the United States, you're from Oakland. So how does that go to, like, how did that, how did they find out? I mean, obviously they probably knew you were on their radar before that, but how, how did that whole thing go down? Um, They reached out once when I was a sophomore in college. Um, about some games playing like for the sub 20 team or something but for whatever reason I couldn't go I think I was going to miss too many sessions of summer school and like I said Buzz is a good dude man like he's making kids take summer school and making sure everybody graduates on time so he was like nah you're, you're not missing both sessions of summer school and as a 20 year old kid you're like what the fuck dude like but it's like nah your mom wants you to graduate I'm gonna make sure you graduate so then when I got out of college, they called me. I don't know how they got my number, but it was it was a Tuesday night. I landed in Charlotte. I was actually going to visit Buzz when he was at Virginia Tech. He mm-hmm. does this thing every year, um, Buzz's Bunch, where we get to work with the uh, Um, And I don't know how they got my number. And they're like, hey, can you come to Mexico City tomorrow? And I'm like, nah, I can't. Like, I just landed in Charlotte, and I'm from California. But I'll be back in California Sunday night, so we can plan something after that. And he says, "Okay, uh, I'll text you tomorrow." And he texts me the first thing uh, was that Wednesday morning, and he says, "Hey, your uh, flight is at uh, 7 a.m. on uh, Monday." 
So I fly from Charlotte to California, and I get to California at like 11.15 SFO. So by the time I get to my house, I live across the bridge. By the time I get to my house, it's like 12.45, 1 after you deep, deep plane, get your luggage. It's like 1.15. So I have to unpack and then repack basketball stuff. I really don't know what I'm getting myself into. Never played pro. Don't know where I'm going. Don't know what I'm going to do. Don't know what I need. So I just pack these two big-ass suitcases. And my flight's at like 6.45, 6.30. I'm taking an international flight, so I have to be back at the airport by like 4.45, 4.30, the latest. So you're home for 15 so, minutes. <laughs> yeah, I went home you know, to eat and, yeah. and take a little quick nap. <laughs> And so uh, I flew to Mexico City. We wow. did pre-Olympics. That is wild. And yeah. did you know any of your teammates going into it? Like, did you? What all did you even? What What were you? What were you aware of? I guess before you left. <laughs> nothing, honestly. Wow. To be quite honest, I wasn't aware of nothing. I knew one guy, Jorge Gutierrez, and I only knew him because he played at Cal. Okay. Like, I didn't. Even when I was in college, I wasn't following Euro basket. Like I don't, and even now I don't follow none of that stuff. If it's not like in front of me, I ain't really following it. Like, so I didn't know anything about I didn't know Mexico had a fucking league. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't at all. Um, I didn't know anything. I didn't know yeah. any players outside of the U.S. or nothing. So, when you when you played for them, is that how you got connected to Soles? Um. You know, I don't. I really don't know how I, exactly I got connected to Soles. I was told that they were helping. They were the ones helping me get my dual citizenship, so that was the deal for me to sign with them. Um, and so that's, I guess, that's what happened. I'm so, not sure. you just, so, you're you, like, yeah, I'm gonna go play pro basketball in Mexico. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't have no other options. So yeah. So uh, Juan, I was trying to tell Nick and Brandon when I played pro basketball the Mexican leagues were always kind of known as, hey, if you go to Mexico, you're never going to leave. There's guys – I remember we had a guy when I was in the second league, Italy, that we brought over. He had like 79 points in a game. And they're like, yeah, we need to bring him over. Like, he's a bucket. And I think he lasted for like a month, and then they got rid of him. But like, <laughs> but, but nobody was like, oh, dude, don't ever go to Mexico. You'll never leave. Yeah. Can you explain to people that – like you, like you just said, I didn't even know they had a Mexican league. Explain to people, like, what's that league like? And like, like I'm looking at the stuff here. You played 54 games that season. That's a lot in yeah. like one of those leagues. Like, that's like barnstorming, like yeah. just going all over the freaking place and playing a ton. Like, what's what's the lifestyle like? I mean, obviously not compared to the Golden State Warriors, but like from like going from Marquette to like I don't know where I'm going now. I'm in this Mexican, the Mexican Pro League. What was the day like? Like, if you can explain. Oh, man, there's so many different angles I can take on this. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it was a – I don't want to call it a shit league, but, like, in comparison to, like, the life I'm living now, it is a shit league. Like, they don't have all sure. the resources. Um, it's, a, it's almost like minor league baseball, right? Like, yeah. like you're playing single-A ball for the, you know, Toledo Mud Hens and you're <laughs> – driving around in buses and stuff yeah but it's a good league it's a solid league yeah, yeah. You know people all the time like that league is growing and that league's gonna that league's about to grow even more just think the nba came to mexico now mm, like yeah that's yep. gonna give them such a just a boost 
there's an NBA Academy down there now too. Yeah, that they just yeah. opened like, and, and I want to be a part of it. Like I'm trying so hard and to find different ways to be a part of it because the market is so huge there. Like the league is a solid league though. It's got some good solid players, but that is the perception of that league sure. that you won't get out of that league. And I remember that people were telling me that when I was going, when I first went to the league and then my second year playing in the league, because the first year I got went to the league, I was, I mean, I was, wasn't really anybody. Nobody knew me or anything. I didn't have any accolades, but I still killed. And so my second year I ended up going to the best organization um, in the league. And I ended up getting MVP and winning championship that year. I had won everything that year, slam dunk contest, all-star MVP, uh, MVP of the season, MVP finals and uh, championship. So I ended up being paid very generously the following year. And so everybody would just kept telling me like, Hey, don't get blinded by the money, you know, because they do in comparison to like deals that I see in Europe per month, you can make more in Mexico mm -hmm. probably because I feel like uh, Europe's 10 months. So when people get these bigger contracts, it's stressed out over 10 months, as opposed to Mexico, you're only playing for five to six months. So when you right. get these six figure contracts, your checks turn into 25 to 30 to 35,000 a month, as opposed to if you were to make 35 a month in Europe, you would be making 350. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. Yeah. that's why people get stuck in these stuck in these leagues because the money is, good money but the league ain't really like that mm -hmm. and the league ain't gonna set you up to make that five hundred thousand dollar million dollar contract mm -hmm. because the league kind of caps at that twenty five thirty thousand dollar you know a month but you only plan for five months right, so right that's why people get stuck there the fans are great the travel sucks um my rookie year we did a 22 hour bus drive Ooh. Don't know why the fuck we did that. Would we'll never do it again. Now that I play pro, I would get fined to miss that game if I had to do something. Like <laughs> <laughs> we might be looking at some stuff like that coming up soon with the travel restrictions. I mean, I guess you guys got your own planes and stuff. So not really yeah. an issue. Yeah, no. This this is this is uh, no, yeah. We're flying a tremendous issue. Jet. <laughs> yeah, but, see, that's the stuff you deal with, like when you're playing in in, in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like honestly, man. I've had the time of my life there. If you can wow. get past like that, I don't want to say prima donna shit because it's not prima donna shit. Like, if you earn that, then cool, and you feel like you you deserve that, then cool. You know, complain yeah. about it. But I mean, like, it's more I, of that like iron sharpens iron stuff, right? Uh -huh. Like you're now at another place in your career because like I got two two friends that play there uh, in Mexico: Greg Smith and Daniel Bayarano. Okay, and, I know both of those guys. Good. Deal. Yeah, I think I think DB now plays for Fuerza. Uh, where the team I'm used, talking about that's the team I was playing for, yeah. So, like that, that just like tough, like it's just it's just a different world, you know, as far as like everybody, everybody's out there just trying to, you know, show up every night and and you know, kind of make that next step. And like it's hard nosed basketball, like it's good basketball for sure. It's some good players down there, man. Like my first year, we my team was. Uh, Alex Perez, um, he's pretty well known in the JUCO um, scene in California. He was just playing Euro League in Zalgiris recently. Um, so he was our point guard. Um, I was the two guard Shane Bahannon that played at Louisville, won a national yeah. championship. He was on our team. 
Uh, Matt Bryan and Manning, the big, played at Washington with Isaiah Thomas was on mm. our team. Um, Lucas Martinez was on our team. He played in the G League for some years. Yep, he's still uh, really, where's in now? No, is it Solis? Solis, yeah. He's still Solis. NBA caliber shooter. Like, we had a loaded team. Like, Luke is tough as shit, too. Yeah, he's t- he's a tough dude. That's one I'm going to his wedding this summer. So, <laughs> yeah, he's a tough dude. But our team was loaded, man. And we all were having fun. Like, mm. we didn't give a fuck that we was living in the trap house. When I first got there, <laughs> I did. Like, I still, I, still remember the, I still remember the day. The girl that I'm dating now, um, we were friends. Then I was texting. I'm like, man, this shit is bullshit. Like, I just came from Marquette, flying private, like, staying in the Ritz-Carlton in, in New York City. Like, I'm standing in a trap house. And she's like, just just grind it out. Like, you'll get to the NBA soon. I remember that conversation. Wow. But after I got over that part, like, we went on a 24-game win streak. Um, we we should have won the championship, but we ended up getting a, a, a game taken away from us in the finals three days later. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, but we were just hooping, man, and we were having the time of our lives. Mm-hmm. We were going out Wednesday to Sunday um because we just had such a good ass team like mm-hmm. we knew that we were everybody was going to compete every day mm-hmm. and that same dog like we were all making each other better like mm-hmm. i knew i wanted to get out of there i knew these like i, I was kind of like i saw shane like okay like you want a national championship in college like let me go at you every day like i want to prove to you that because shane I, I remember i had to guard shane in college we were sophomores and you know, he's 250, solid, big boy, dunking shit, and he was just too much for me to handle then. Matt, Brian, and Manning, like, I watched you when I was, you know, in high school, early years, killing in the Pac-12 and, and so forth. So I just – we just all competed every day. We – like, we all got better. And I used to always tell them, like, I'm about to get the fuck out of here. I'm going to the NBA. And nobody ever believed me. But. <laughs> so the year that you won the MVP, like, how – how famous are you in Mexico at that point? Like, can you walk down the street and have people not harass you? Like, what level of fame can you reach as as the as the best player in the league? That year, yeah. Um, people have pretty or have known me a little bit. Like, if you follow basketball, you know me yeah. in Mexico that year. The following year, the uh, president of the league he reached a deal with to get it on uh, national TV. So then. Uh, that was my last full year playing in Mexico. So then it kind of grew then. And then I went back for two games in the team. The president of the league is the owner of Fuerza. So he allowed me to leave. You know, I asked him like, Hey, I had a clause in my contract. If I could leave for any Europe or NBA mm-hmm. uh, deals. So, um, I ended up leaving them my fame, my I don't fame notoriety just grew from there. Mm. Like now it's I can't even, I don't know if I can go there and walk down the street now. I mean you, you have to be one of one of the few in, in of of Mexican heritage in the NBA now, right? So uh, ever. That's actually one yeah, of the questions. Like, Surprise. It's only five. Yeah. So so if you and we'll we'll get into your Warriors time here in a minute, but like in Mexico now, like when you go back or, you know, whenever you go back, like now that the game is exploding over there, the NBA is putting a huge focus in Latin America. They're putting a huge focus in Mexico. Um, you know, they know what they're doing, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the fastest growing sport in the world. Sure. So, like, I mean, you're, you're like the the face of, you know, kind of what what's to come in, in Mexican basketball. Yeah. I mean, what does that what does that feel like? Like, it's it's hard to 
it's it's hard to like ask the question correctly because mm-hmm. there's so few people in a sport ever that uh, can represent an entire country, yeah. um, you know, like that. What what is that? What does that feel like? Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I, it's just like different feelings all the time. Like now that we're talking about it again, like I'm reminded of that feeling and now I get goosebumps again, because like you said, it's like, you can't really replicate it in most scenarios. Like my, I'm a rookie in the NBA, but my situation is so far different than any other rookie. Like I play for the Warriors, my home team, which already is just like fucking amazing. <laughs> That's but crazy. now now I was already representing a country, but now I'm representing a country in the best league in the whole world yep. where it has this whole world platform where people all over the world are watching, where the whole country is just watching. And it's just like, I don't know. I tell, I tell people, I tell my girlfriend all the time, like, I never imagined my life being this way. Like, it's, it's insane. Like, you said, you were asking me about my notoriety, like, three years ago, like, I would be able to just walk down the street and do whatever I want. Sure. Now, like, I went to the game out there during all-star break and I had to have security, which I wasn't, I didn't even ask for, (laughs) but the owner, he set me up with security and I needed it because like literally as I was trying to leave, like people were like grabbing me and pulling on me. And I just looked at my girlfriend, like I smiled. I wasn't even mad because I love those people. Like those people don't even know how much they motivate me to continue to like, you know, just drive me, but I laughed and I'm like, damn, I never imagined my life being like, this. like, this is crazy. Like, I mean, it, that's it, insane to think about your, your childhood team, uh, now representing, uh, uh, you know, the, a nationality, a, a heritage, a country, um, in a state with a huge Hispanic population, Yeah, like all of these things combined and, it, it has has somehow all fallen into place yeah. that that now I mean this is this is what your life like I, I didn't even really think about it until it's just beautiful. now and we've been preparing for this interview for a week and it's <laughs> like God dang like like all of these things line up to just this unbelievable like life experience of being in that position I mean it's it's absolutely amazing it's, it's crazy it, for sure and, and I mean it's definitely caused me to believe like everybody has a destination you know but your destination is going to be whatever you decide for it to be. And I think Mm. like the law of attraction is so big. Like if you have something and you visualize it and you can like, you can see yourself achieving this, like that's what your destination is. Your destination isn't already predetermined when you're born, your destination. Yeah. It's an idea that is preconceived, but then you make that Mm. come to reality. And I think that's, that's what this is for me at this point. Like, I'm so grateful for this opportunity because, like I said, I don't say that lightly. I never imagined my life being this way. I never imagined playing for the fucking Golden State Warriors, <laughs> let alone playing in the NBA. Yeah, like, I get to I get to drive around where I'm from and be on the NBA team. Like, how <laughs> cool is that? I get to go back to my family's house and my grandpa's house and all my family's there and, like – Oh yeah, we watched you on TV last night. And I'm not saying like I I get hard for you know the oh we watch you on TV, but I get to be around my family and feel those vibes and this good energy and I really get to enjoy this journey with them, you know, in the moment. You know, some guys are playing all the way in Boston and then they get to come home in the summer and talk about it, or they get to come home in the summer and talk about talk about their career their career high that they had this season. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I get I get to relive and live all these 
these emotions and these these moments right here with my family. You get you get to go home and and one of your family member goes, you know, last night you should have done this. I was watching, and, <laughs> and, and those are all great components of you know yeah. this 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 moment right now for myself. You're so. like you're li- you're living a thing. Like being in the NBA is obviously something that few people in the you know in the history of the planet will ever get to do, but you get to do it in like such an incredibly intimate, special way. Yeah, that like being around your family and not like, you know, FaceTiming everybody to talk to them about the game last night. Like you're showing up for dinner on Sunday and you know, they're talking about that. I mean, that's just, that just, as we're talking about it, that's like blowing yeah. my mind more and more. That Giving me goosebumps this, like, for real. One. Special yeah, it, it's thing. so dope. Like every game, literally every game people, I see people that I haven't seen in 15 years or people that I went to elementary school with or middle school with, you know, these are just warrior fans. They're not, coming to see me they're warrior fans but now i'm on the team so like they're walking on the baseline like while i'm trying to warm up calling my name and i'm like i don't know if i should be like hey because i'm at work right now you know i'm trying to cool but it's it's so dope man i see people in the stands people sitting uh, courtside that like i haven't seen in years and they're like yeah we bought these tickets to come watch you and i'm just like that's so dope like it's amazing we want to ask you about the uh be real quick if i can ask something um have you been watching The Last Dance, Juan? Uh, yeah. So I know something from me that a lot of people ask me about, and I think I've seen on social media. When Michael Jordan was sitting there in his room by himself with a cigar and just saying how, like, he can't, like, it's just gotten too big for him, and he's just, like, sitting there thinking to himself, like, I only have myself. If mm-hmm. you remember that part when he was sitting in the hotel room. Yeah. Like, if you can explain a little bit more for our for our listeners, like when you're at a game in Mexico during the All Star break and you have security with you, and they're pulling on you, all these fans are pulling on you. Like when you get to your hotel that night and you're with your girlfriend, like what like what do you think? Like do you sit down in a chair, open up a beer, pour a glass of whatever, and just sit and be like, damn, like this is. This is crazy. Like, because I, like, I think so many people like want to understand what that really f- means. And then people watching Jordan do that, they're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, he thinks about this stuff. And I think that's just so mind-boggling for people. So, like, mm-hmm. is, is there anything you can say about that? Like, when you get back from that? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest misconception that people have about athletes when athletes say like people are demanding or people always want something, people first their first thought is to think about money, and that's not always the case. Money is probably one of the lesser things that people ask for. You know, it's the, hey, can you post this? Hey, can you talk to my son? Hey, can you talk to my friend's son? Hey, can you come talk to my basketball team? Hey, can you can you come over to my house to sign this? Hey, can you take a come over here to take a picture? Hey, can you do this, that, and a third? Hey, can you sign all these hundred autographs after you just lost the game? Uh, whatever the case may be. And I think you know, people don't understand that it's okay for you to say no sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. I may not get to you this time. And unfortunately, it just may, you know, if I'm Michael Jordan in this case, like, I just didn't get to you at this time. Like, don't don't crucify me for it. You know, and like, even my, my in my case, like, I'm always, like, working on my phone, whether it be emails, whether I'm trying, like, I'm trying to do many different things. I've got a foundation. I'm trying to put together a camp, so forth, and um, I do get caught up in social media and I do get caught up in, you know, when all, I mean, so many more people are texting me now than, you know, a year ago, which 
it's inevitable. Obviously, you know, I feel like every NBA or every professional athlete, anybody successful will go through that, that stage. But like my phones are always in my hand and my girlfriend, she just looks at me and she's like, when are you going to put your phones down? Hmm. And it's like, subconsciously I'm not even making time for myself, but I'm not even making time for her either. Mm -hmm. You know, so me giving all my time to all these other people, I don't even really get the time to sit down and even think about that because now I, I'm, I have such limited time. I have to make a choice. Am I going to give this time to myself or am I going to give this time to my girlfriend who has come home from work and already made me dinner already pretty much done the laundry like she's doing all this stuff for her for us and i can't even give her 30 minutes of you know just undivided attention and i just think people they just have a big misconception yeah. about you know who we are and you know our capabilities as just soul human beings like we just humans, yeah. like y'all <laughs> well we're gonna i, I want to ask you about your foundation and i want to talk to you a little bit about joining the the warriors but before we get into that I think it's trivia time. Trivia time. <laughs> All right, so we've got the first question from Juan Toscano Anderson trivia. And the question first question will go to you, Juan. So the question is according to Real GM, you actually already said the answer to this, so <laughs> you, it's all good. Way to go, <laughs> Hopefully you guys aren't listening and maybe you won't steal his answer, but you will. <laughs> According to Real GM, there have been how many Mexicans in the NBA since 1973? Five. Okay. Thomas? I'm going to say five. Okay. Brandon? I was listening to our own podcast and, and he said five. So all right. Touche. Touche. Juan, Juan did his homework. I should have figured. <laughs> but here's the, here's the bonus for, for you, Juan. For, not for them, just for you. The bonus is name two of those players that aren't you. Eduardo Nahara, Horacio Yamas. Light work. <laughs> the other two were Jorge Gutierrez and Gustavo Aon. Yeah. I, I probably should have just let him say off all, all of them. <laughs> he probably knew them all. Two of them were my teammates, so I knew those. Two. Well, <laughs> yep. Okay. Nahara is the only one I would have been able to get. Uh, <laughs> All right, number two, Thomas, you will get the first crack at this one. Juan has stated that his favorite Warriors moment of all time was in 2007 when Baron Davis dunked on Andre Kirilenko. Name the five Warriors starters from that game. Oh, God. From 2007? 2007. Oh, man. Oh. That was, that was before the Warriors were super cool. I don't even know if I can, I mean, be Davis. Mm. Oh man! Come on, bro. Let's, let's go. Let's go with Baron Davis. Let's go with Dunleavy. Let's go with um, Adonal Foyle. Um, let's go with oh, sweet man, sweet lord. Uh, I'm, gonna go, <laughs> I'm gonna go with just those three because I don't want to take too long. But those okay, three. fair enough. Am I good, Brand Brandon? Oh, we're going to okay. Yep. Um. I stacked the deck. Jesus. Uh, okay, so Matt Barnes and 
Okay, we're, we're naming I the five starters. Yes, right. and for the record, I did not confirm how many he got right there. I was just, uh, my yeah, fingers yeah. were only representing how many he had said. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm not going to say okay. whether he got any right yet. Oh. Okay, so I, I'm going to say I'm going to say Matt Barnes. I'm going to say Dunleavy. Uh, uh, Baron. Um, Steven Jackson. <laughs> who the heck was the who the hell was the point guard time's up Keith McCloyd I don't okay, know so you answered five there again I have not stated that either of you have gotten any number of them yep. correct okay Juan you're up Steven Jack Andres Vedrans Jason Richardson Baron Davis Damn, it's either Monte or Mike Dunleavy. I'm gonna go with uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go with Monte. It was not Monte, but you still won. So, <laughs> Brandon, you got three. Thomas, you got one. Um, I'm not actually gonna read. Oh no, I will. Okay, so the bonus question is name two of the three subs who played in that game. So let me tell you the the, the correct answer. The correct okay. answer is Jason Richardson, Stephen Jackson, Baron Davis. Matt Barnes, and you, you got the hard one, Andres Bedrins. So who were the two of the three subs? They only played eight guys in that game. Who were two of the three subs that played? Is this for me? Nope. This, for this is oh. for one. Oh, it's for one. Yeah, one's killing oh. you guys. Yeah, well. <laughs> Al Harrington? Well, I don't know if he was on. I can't remember. Uh... So you didn't say Monte Ellis in the starting. So Monte came off the bench then. He sure or was did. Monte on the team still. He was. He okay, so it was Al Al Monte and. Oh, he's going for the third one. You already got the bonus. Let's see if he gets Ooh. an extra bonus. Al Monte and shit. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. He, no, who was on the team? You want a hint? He's foreign. Got it. Petrus. It's Petrus. Wow. <laughs> the French. Look at he's going. Look wild. at that. The we Frenchman. <laughs> well, let's go. All right, Juan is absolutely rolling. Well done, sir. All right, question three. I don't want to answer anymore. I feel it, it, You mathematically <laughs> are eliminated. Juan is mathematically already won, but we're gonna keep going. Juan's favorite shoe, I am assuming, oh, is Nike's Kobe Bryant signature shoe. According to me. And my friend Matt, who's a giant Warriors fan, this shoe is the rarest Kobe of all time. Which number is this? Let me pull the picture up so you can all see it. Oh my gosh. So what the answer that I'm looking for is what number model is this? And so let's see who's it. Brandon's up first, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Can you see that okay? Yeah, I'm gonna feel really bad because like the Kobe's are the shoes that I, I haven't I haven't gotten into. Like I'm I'm like a new sneaker. Yeah, head, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, those the threes. Okay, one. Um, it's it's somewhere between seven and nine. I want to go nine because that upper part is what they used on the tens. So I'm gonna go either. I'm gonna go nine. Okay, Thomas. Brandon said what again? Brandon said three. wrong answer. 
is what yeah, I said. Three's way off, Brandon. Yeah, say the, I'm gonna say the tens. It's the nine. And here is the bonus question. Jeez, and if he gets this man. right, he will have Good the highest Lord. point total so far. So we'll be the champion of champions. If he the gets champion of right. champions of all the player series. Okay, the, here we go. The, the official model name is the Kobe 9 Premium HTM. Why is it called the HTM? I don't know. The three designers are Mark Parker, Tinker Hatfield and Hiroshi Fujiwara. HTM. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm pretty that. sure he's still the champion of champions, though. He's still the champion of champions, obviously. Juan, uh, that was awesome. I didn't, get a, Congrats. I didn't get a single thing right. I got, like, partial credit on a question. I got, like, a, like a 60% on one question. <laughs> <laughs> Good work, Juan. You've won. You are the champion. Here is the music. Toscana Anderson is the champion of Juan Toscana Anderson trivia and the new champion of champions. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. iTunes ratings and reviews are also extremely helpful. Your support is what helps us move the needle and keep this thing going. We love and appreciate all of you. Now, back to the show. So, Juan, talk us through becoming a Golden State Warrior and how that all went down uh, for you and, and the moments that you found out and all that kind of stuff that kind of hit you like, oh, my gosh, this is real. I'm going to my hometown team. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, shit, I came to the G League on tryout, uh, open tryout. Uh, I actually reached out to them, uh, played last year. Then I got invited to Summer League, Summer 2019. Yeah. Um, then before summer league was over, I got invited to training camp, which was was cool. I just honestly, man, I, I just saw things start rolling for me from there. And so I went to training camp, and I got cut. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the business, but that one hurt just because it was my first time in the NBA, and like the moment was so cool, like just to see it come to an end would just kind of sucked. You know what I'm saying? It's always one of those things like what's worse to never get it or to get it and to lose it. And mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, man, I'm a realist. Like the NBA is not for everybody. And there are a million guys out there that go to training camp and get cut and never get in the league or maybe get in the league for a 10 day or a call up and never get back in the league. So um, I am an optimistic person as well. Like, I, I don't know if it's able, if it's possibly possible to be both, but, like, I was optimistic and, like, I'm going to still work my ass off to try to get back in the league. And so the the first few months of playing in the G League were really frustrating. I struggled uh, for probably about the first two months. Um, I probably, I think I went 0 from 20, like 0 for 27 to start the season from three. Ooh, wow. uh, yeah. And then after that, I start rolling. I was shooting, like, 58% from three, um, averaging, like, close to 18 and 12, something like that. And then the call-up happened. Uh, yeah, I was. We were leaving to Sioux Falls that morning. We had just played somebody the night before. Oh, we played Memphis the night before. And uh, I woke. My alarm was set for eight. We were leaving at nine thirty. Set for eight. Get up, eat, pack. Um, and I woke up and I had two missed calls from Kent Lakeup, who was the GM my first year in Santa Cruz. Now he's assistant GM, but uh, he calls me and. 
he called me twice and I wake up, I have two missed calls. And as soon as I wake up, I wake up at eight o'clock at eight Oh one. He texts me like, Hey Juan, you need to wake your ass up. So <laughs> when he said that, I figure only one or two things could happen. Either I did something very detrimental to my career. And he something going on or two, I'm going to get some great news. I mean, yeah. it's the, it's trading. day, It's the trade deadline day. So, um, Actually, prior to that, you know, Marquise Chris, they had waived him, and then they had put him on two-way. I thought I was going to get that two-way, mm. but just the way, you know, the cards were dealt, I didn't. And I, was, I wasn't I was mad at him for it. You know, I'm very happy for him. That's Marquise Chris is a good dude, and I think he deserves to be in the NBA. But um, I thought I was going to get that two-way, and I, I was upset about that. But then a week later, I ended up getting called up. So it was exciting, man. <clears throat> I was – I don't want to say I was scared, but I was nervous for sure. I mean, nervous about going into a a, a new locker room, but nervous about going into a, a new locker room as a rookie at the age of 27. Like, these are all dynamics. You got to kind of figure out how to uh, maneuver your way through through different dynamics, you know, um, being in the locker room. Like, I'm 27. I'm not a 20-year-old rookie, so I'm not going to – mentally, I'm not going to be okay with – a 28-year-old vet doing the things to me that he wants to do to, you know, these 20-year-old right. rookies, you know, just like hazing and stuff. So it's just like you got to find out how to figure maneuver your way, you know. Yeah. Also, just being prepared. I had just got a hit pointer the night before against Memphis. So I went – I got to Golden State in the first practice. I couldn't even practice because I told Steve, I'm like, man, <clears throat> my hip's fucked up. Like, I just got hit last night. And so it was just it were there were a lot of feelings, but primarily it was just like I I just remember that feeling that I had when you know Bob and, and Bob Myers and Steve called me into an office and told me they had to let me go. I just always kept that feeling like close by, and I just always wanted to remember like I don't just want to be here for the moment anymore. Like I want to be here to stay, yep. and I want to figure out how to sustain and find longevity in this league. You know. Um, like I said, a lot of guys come and go, man. And it's yeah. easy to get lost in the moment. I mean, the league is an exciting place. Obviously, for what it is, you get to wake up and do what you love to do. But you get paid millions of dollars. You got the best of everything. You fly in private. Everybody wants to be your friend. Um, just all these other things. It's easy to get comfortable and it's easy to get lost. And um, I don't want to speak for anybody else and say I think that's what happens to people, but I think that is a problem in some guy's situation. You know, kind of get too comfortable and I, I made it, but now nah, you really didn't make it. Right. You've arrived, but you ain't made it. Mm-hmm. When you make it is when you get the hundred dollar contract, the fifty. Mi- I mean, not the hundred dollar, the hundred million dollar contract, the fifty right. million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. That's when you made it. So. Uh, that's just how I was feeling, man. I was really happy. I was nervous, but I was also like just more motivated and more hungry because, you know, opportunities don't always come back around. You know, sometimes you only get one opportunity in life to do something. And when it comes back around, man, you got to seize that opportunity. And so I just, I just made sure that I just didn't get too high, too low. And sometimes that's hard, right? It's hard finding the balance. It's a thin line where you you really want to enjoy the moment. But, damn, you got to wake up and do it tomorrow. I make a shot. Damn, I got to come back down and guard Andrew Wiggins or <laughs> Steph Curry. Like, you just got to have short-term memory loss. So, that's just how I just wanted to approach it, man. Be happy, but not get too excited. You know, just and, and act like you've been there. 
you know, be humble and just and just work hard. Did you say at the beginning that you reached out to Santa Cruz? Yeah. So you like, hold up. So you're playing in Mexico and you hit up the G League team. Say so like, can I come try out? Yeah. So one of my, one of my, well, he is my best friend, uh, Jabari Brown, the one I played for the Lakers. Um, he played in Santa Cruz for a year. Um, and so he had always been telling me, like he went to, he didn't get drafted but he got caught up to the Lakers and finished the season with him his rookie year out, and that was 2014, I want to say. So, you know, he had he's played in China. He has some some good experience and some good knowledge, and he always kept asking me, you know, like, why don't you <clears throat> go play in the G League? And one, because that part we go back to, you know, kind of getting stuck in Mexico. Like, I was making good-ass money. I was making uh, over six figures. And so I never – $35,000 before taxes, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> to play basketball and grind your body up. So I really just wasn't thinking about that. And, you know, I finally had reached out to him again after some years. This was after years. You know, he kept telling me to go try G League. I reached out to him, and <clears throat> he put me in contact with Ryan Atkinson, uh, which was the assistant GM. He's the uh, head GM now. But then Ryan just told me to come to open tryout. And then after the open tryout, that was September 15th or something like that. And I ended up going to Mexico because <clears throat> I didn't have a concrete deal with them. But like I said, I went to Mexico, played two games. They let me leave for the clause. And media day was on November 1st. Uh, that was the day that I was supposed to go back to Mexico. Hmm. Um, so on October 31st, my owner, called, the owner for the team calls me. Uh, he says, hey, we play on the second. I need you to fly out uh, Monday night, which is the first. So you can fly overnight, be there Tuesday morning, and play Tuesday. And I don't really have an answer for him. I'm trying to buy time. This is Monday. This is Monday or the 31st, the night of the 31st. It's late, and I'm at a concert. I went to the Drake and the Migos concert. So it's kind of like, damn, I can't really handle business right now, like, but also, this guy's he's planning on buying a ticket like now or in the morning. So I told him I just was killing time. I was some I was kind of ignoring him. Then I text him back in the morning. I was like, hey, just give me to the end of the day and I'll or give me a few hours, like till 2 p.m. And if not, then I'll get on the flight. So I went in uh asked Ryan, I'm like, look, man, like I know I'm not in a position to ask you guys for anything. Like I said, I was there on trial. I'm not in a position to ask you guys for anything. Um I don't know what's going on, but the owner for my team wants me to come back and I can't tell him no. And then you guys end up releasing me. Then I'm going to be shit out of luck and I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have uh, no deal on the table. So then he was just like, all right, give me 15 minutes. And he went in the office. Then they called me in the office and they was like, we're going to have to let you go. And I was just like, damn, like I remember that moment where I just felt like shit. But that was my first time ever being in a situation like that where, damn, you got to remember to stay professional. Like, don't really show too much emotion. So I was just like, fuck, like, all right, thank you. Like, and they just all started laughing. And then they was like, oh, we're going to keep you. So I went from being an open tryout to then by the end of the season, I was starting in the playoffs. Jeez. What a roller coaster. Your, your, your story is just, it's so incredible. Um, and <laughs> And hearing it from, your own mouth is, is just, is unbelievable. And, and the things that you've gone through and the things that 
you know, have kind of brought you to this place. So, you know, one of the things we definitely wanted to make sure we asked you about was your foundation and, and the camps and how you are trying to help people write their own stories. Can you talk to us a little bit about the work that you're doing now? Yeah. Um, well, my foundation is very premature. Um, and like the way we kind of help people is very like scattered. Um, my grandpa, he's been here for 50 plus years. He's very involved. Like, I don't want to say he's very involved in the Mexican community, but the people that know him, like he's a pill, he's a pillar in his community. If that makes sense. Like the people mm-hmm. that know him know that they can reach out to he and the rest of my family for help. Um, my mom has been working for the city of Oakland. Um, she used to run when I was a kid, she used to run a program for uh, juvenile delinquents. She works for Parks and Recs, and now she works for the Senior Center in Oakland. So throughout this time, like, we've met people in need and done so much over the time, like, for people under the radar, like, stuff that doesn't necessarily show up. So, you know, just with making the NBA, like, I just wanted to make something more official, you know, where I I could ask, you know, people on a larger scale for help. Like, I can reach out to the Googles and the Apples and the Netflixes, the people that are in my backyard you know, to try and help provide maybe one or two kids with a laptop or, you know, iPad or something that they don't have to, to, to help them achieve their, their goals, you know, their, their daily goals and their long-term, their long-term dreams. So it's premature. Uh, I did one fundraiser for um, a technology center in Watsonville, which is like 30 minutes South of Santa Cruz. Um, I actually just closed a deal with, with someone, I don't know if I'm able to disclose that information, but I, I closed a deal with with a shoe company that not a shoe company, not a shoe brand, but like a, a big store. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I address that, but <laughs> to close a deal with them, they're going to help me moving forward with some stuff, some giveaways. Um, yeah, uh, I'm just trying to help, man. Like like I said, I'm I grew up in a, a tough neighborhood, and I mean, obviously everybody has their story, but. I never thought my story would be seen as great until it was great. And like, just looking back at all the pivotal times in my life, you know, like, man, I got so much depth to, to talk about when I talk about my story. Like I had a best friend in middle school where I would s- literally, I pretty much moved into his house. His parents let me move into his house because we had practice at 7 a.m. in the morning and my mom couldn't drive me all the way to, school and then come back and pick up my little sister and then get her ready then go to like it was just too much so you know just those people helped me you know and that was a pivotal time in my life I probably wouldn't be where I am today without that person that person probably wouldn't have set me up to meet the next people that helped me reach the next step in my life so you know I just want to I just want to be a a lending hand man to help people and uh, I'm a firm believer in it takes a village you know a lot of people like to say they do shit on their own, but anybody doing nothing on their own, and if you are, that's I don't know, you one of a kind. But <laughs> everybody got some help from somebody, so mm-hmm. that's just my goal, man. Whether it's big or small, is just to help people. And that's amazing. You know, you know what I'm saying? I don't really care what it is. However, people need help. Like I said, man, I've been homeless twice, and now I'm in the NBA on the NBA contract. So it's just like I know what it's like to be down here, and then like I know what it's like to get up here you know and I know what it's like to be between too so uh like I said I don't want to sit here and act like I know everybody's situation or I know how that I can imagine how everybody's feeling because everybody has different shit they go through on a day-to-day basis but 
I know what the struggle's like. Absolutely. Well, Juan, if last but not least, man, just we can't thank you enough for coming on. I'm, you know, my my guys, uh, Adam and Nate, uh, that I've known for especially Adam for 20 years to introduce us. Uh, it means a lot that you came on uh, the live period, uh, the player series, to, to tell your story. And Brandon and I have already talked off air about wanting to link up with you here in the near future to, to do some camps together, uh, possibly down in Mexico and, and helping out how we can as well um, with my training and, and Brandon's uh, outreach with his camps. So, no, man, we just – we hope the best for you. Like, watching you play, watching your highlights, Nick and I are watching some games. You're going to be in the league for a while, man. Yeah. You do the stuff that a lot of guys don't like to do, and you said you're working on your three and your shooting and a lot of these other things that are just going to help you stay in the league. So, uh, mad respect for you. Your story is uh, <laughs> something that people need to hear, man, because so many kids just don't understand what it takes. Yeah. And, uh, 100%. I mean, that – that, like the two players that I know from Oakland that, that I've worked with in junior college, Cam Mack and AJ Brahma and, and guys like that and talking about, you know, being from Oakland and, you know, having struggles there and, and just like, it, I mean, it's, it's everywhere internationally, domestically, like hearing your story, like these are the kinds of things that the kids need to hear about, because like you said, everybody's got their struggles. Everybody's got their own story. Um, you know, they, they need to hear, they need to hear stories like this to know that, you know, regardless of what they do in life like you know it's that perseverance and that that uh that push through that that uh you know makes the difference so yeah, for sure man I, I think i think it's easy to get discouraged you know so uh, and, and that's why i just want i mean i'm not saying that i am gonna stand here and be the example or the epitome of persistence and you know hard work but you know uh if i can do it then why can't you yeah you know, you're living I, it, what was that you're living it like you're showing you're showing why there's no reason that you should have made it to where you're at. Right. right. You know? Exactly. So, and like, when I look at these kids, I always tell them like, I'm no different than you were that are, you know, you're no different than I was when I was your age. Like, and you, ha you kind of have a head start because I didn't have anybody telling me this, mm -hmm. like all the shit that I'm figuring out, the shit that I speak about, like, this is shit that I figured out, mm -hmm. you know, over time. Like, yeah, I had my mom and she was taking care of me and this, that, and the third, but, like, when I was out chasing, like, my basketball dream, like, every step of the way, like, there was some, like I said, in middle school, I was sleeping on my best friend's floor. Like, in high school, I was catching Bart to Berkeley every day. Like, it's just so many different stages where it's just like, man, it, it, it was hard. It was hard to say no and turn down family events because, you know, we had a tournament. It was hard to turn down family pictures because – we have a mandatory practice today because we're leaving to Vegas tomorrow. You know, it's all those things, man. And I think, you know, everybody's built for it. They just got to believe it. That's big time. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you soon. Uh, well, I appreciate y'all, man. It's been a pleasure. This was pretty cool. It's the first time I've done something like in this style. So it's been cool. And then uh, about the camps, man, I'm, I'm more than down. That's something I'm working on, so we can definitely talk about that. And, uh, you know, just want to give a shout-out to all my people uh, here in Oakland, my IDF people, uh, my girlfriend. She's she's huge in my life, man. I wouldn't be here today without or in this position if it wasn't for her. So mm. my backbone for real. So. That's cool, man. Thank awesome. Shout-out to Adam, man. <laughs> one last quick thing that I wanted to ask, and I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but is there anything that you want to say – 
to the Spanish speaking people in your language? Uh, gracias a ustedes por todo el apoyo. Uh, gracias a México uh, por todo el amor. Monterrey, Mexicali, uh, Chavinda, Ciudad de México, um, la selección, mis compañeros. Um, no puedo estar aquí sin ustedes. Gracias. 